0: My oh, man, thank you, Kevin, for that prayer and just taking us to the throne room of God there, and also Ben, worship team, for just leading us. And man, isn't it such a great um, thing to, to recognize that we worship and serve, serve a sovereign God, that we can put our trust in His sovereignty, even when things don't go the way that we think they should go, uh, that He is sovereign, and He is to be trusted, and that He Loves us. And so, Ben, just thank you so much for putting that set together and leading us in that this morning. want to welcome you to Grace Point Church. My name is Greg Petersheim. I am Plan B. No, I'm the executive pastor here. And so, Tim is enjoying a day off here. I uh, also want to welcome those that are listening online via Facebook. Hi, Mom. Um, and yeah, all those that are listening via Facebook, glad to have you joining us as well. Those that are listening uh, on our podcast as well, welcome to episode number... 552, yes, that's right, right? Like, but yes, welcome to 552. If you listen to all of them, you get a special prize at the end. But yes, anyway, uh, I wanted to start off a little different this morning. It's going to involve your help, all right? I know you come, you sit down, it's like, oh, I'm good, worship's over, I can sit down. We're like, nah, I need you for the beginning here for a little bit of help. In a little bit, I'm going to ask you to tilt your head. This night might be harder for those over 50 like myself, but I want you to tilt your head towards the center aisle. And I'm going to put something on the screen. And when you, and so if you're on this side, yeah, see, some of you got it all right. And yeah, some of you are there a little older. Yeah, move your body because it has to. Yeah, that's right. And on this side, you guys go this way. All right, you kind of got what I'm going with there. I'm going to put something on the screen. And as soon as you see what it is, I need you to shout. Okay, we're going Psalms 100 here. I know we're not used to it, but we're going Psalms 100. Shout to the Lord. Okay, I need you to shout out what you see on the screen from with your head tilted, okay? You got me. Trust me on this. It, you'll change your. It might not change your life, but anyway, I'm hoping it'll work. So, as soon as you go, go ahead, lean towards the center, and it's kind of weak, guys. I mean, when we say shout, I'm saying shout, okay? All right, but okay, all right, all right. Next one. One good there again. Shout. The word shout means to. <laughs> Project loudly, okay. I'm just helping. Help me out there, okay. All right, next one. Yeah. Hey, good job, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one more time. Here we go. Nice. Six, six, not, no. It's a six. To, okay, it's a six. Well, good news, if, if guys, if you you, know, you, you can restore yourself to the upright position now. If you guys felt that you you saw six, right? Yeah, I got good news for you guys. You were right. Okay, you're right, but maybe you were wrong. If you saw a nine, I got good news for you guys. You were right. You were one hundred percent right, but you maybe you were wrong. What's the difference, right? The difference is our perspective. The difference is how we're seeing things. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but there are some times in my life where I know that I am right. I know I'm right. Those around me even affirm I am right. And then a little later I find out maybe I wasn't as right as I thought. Maybe I was wrong. Because from my perspective, I thought, I knew. I was right, but maybe I was wrong. This morning, we're going to be looking at a story. We're in our backstory series. We're going to continue in that. We're going to be looking at a story that I think is familiar to, to most of us if we've grown up in the church or even if you've been around the church, and that's the story of Job. And the story, of, you know, if you remember it, you know, it's, it's kind of this, this righteous guy, this man who did everything right, and it, God himself was even, like, bragging on him for how right he was and how righteous he was to, to Satan, saying, hey, look, have you considered talking to Satan? Hey, can you consider this Job guy? He's, like, righteous. He does everything. Like, he even, he even offers sacrifices for his family just in case they didn't do it right. This guy is righteous, And Satan's like, well, of course he is. Like, you've given him everything. He's richly blessed. He has all the finances. He has everything. He's like well-known. He's greatly established. Like, of course he blesses you. You've given him so much. Take that away, he'll curse you. God was like, oh, okay, I'll take you up on that. You can take everything away, but you can't harm him. Okay, so in one day, everything gets destroyed of Job's. His family, his livelihood, his reputation, his just his houses, everything, everything is taken away, and he falls naked. I came from my mother's womb; naked I shall return. Blessed may the name of the Lord be praised. And, and God is like, see, Satan told you, it's not about the things. This is a righteous man. This guy is righteous before me. And Satan's like, well, of course he is. Flesh for flesh. Like you know, if let, let me allow him to you know create harm to his body, then he'll curse you. And God was like, okay. We'll take you up on that. Go ahead. But you cannot kill him. You can harm him, but do not kill him. And so it, the Bible says about uh, Job was from his feet to his head was filled with sores all over his body, just in anguish and pain. And this is where we start to find Job in this place of wondering what's going on here? What's happening here? And his, the three friends enter his life and enter the scene into the story. And his three friends, if you know the story, we kind of give them a bad rap, right? Because they, they kind of give bad advice. They're kind of like, you know, well, Job, you know, obviously you've sinned. You have some kind of sin that God left this happen to you. Obviously, there's no other way. And we can read the rest of the story. And we kind of know what's going on. But put yourself in their position, man. There wouldn't be anybody, especially in the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant was clear. It's like, you do righteous things, God blesses you. You do bad things, God curses you. It's simple. Like, that's what it is. And so obviously, there's no other even option here because all this calamity came upon you, that you have some kind of sin. Fess up. And Job is like, I, I can't fess up. I've done nothing wrong. And uh, no, you have. And these friends, these friends were good friends. These friends were better friends than, than I am to my friends. Apologize, I'll give you a heads up right now. In Job's 2, 13, says, um, when they got together, they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. Seven days, seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was that's friendship. That's some good guys that you want around in your life. That's some good people that you want in your life that are willing to sit with you seven days and seven nights and not say a word and just be with you. These were good guys. They were right, but they were wrong. And so this morning, I want to see a little bit of the effects of what happens when we judge, when we judge rightly, but we might be wrong, and how that affects others around us. That's where we want to go this morning. I just want to zero in. And I tell you, this is not just an Old Testament story. It's not just something that happened back in the day. This happens now. This happens not even out there. It happens in here. And this morning, I, uh, we want to pause the story of Job here a little bit and I want to invite my good friend uh, to come and share his story a little bit. And then we'll get back into the story of Job afterwards. But I want to invite Linford to go ahead and come up this morning. Um, Linford, I'll put up a, a uh, nice embarrassing picture of you. Uh, he's a little bit older right now. Just a heads up for those that you know, haven't turned around yet. Um, Linford, I, I've gotten to know Linford. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the same guy, right? It is like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, here you go, man. I got to know Linford uh, a little bit uh, here through our men's group. Uh, Just a shameless plug to Connect Groups. Uh, This is a brief announcement in the middle of our service. Uh, Yeah, great to to have Connect Groups, women's groups. We have men's groups. We have groups that meet as couples as well, just to be able to share life beyond what we're able to even share here, what's practical to share here. And so got to know Linford a little bit uh, in our men's group, and he shared his story, and I was blown away, to be honest. I was blown away by where he's at now, dependent, compared to your life journey. I mean, it has been a journey for you, and still is, right? And so, when you shared part of your story, I'm just going to be touching on one, one part here this morning, um, and I was this service. You checked out. And I checked out. I'll put this up here. Maybe it'll get a little bit better. Uh, I was just like, yeah, man, I'd love to hear your story and beg you and plead you and with you to, to share, so... Um, can you take us really to, to this point? I mean, we all have defining moments in our childhood, and, and you had one that was you know, maybe unique and maybe definitely defining. Um, can you kind of paint that picture? Yeah, how old you were, kind of what happened, and just kind of start us off here.
1: Okay. Um, kind of start off just kind of the way I was raised. Um, I was raised in a very conservative, beachy Mennonite home, uh, for the first, you know, seven years, eight years of my life. Um, you know, and we were taught to, you know, there's certain ways that we live, there's certain ways that we talk, there's certain things that we do. Um, you solely rely on family, you rely on the church, um, and that's, that's the key to, to your life. Um, when I was about nine years old, my father got incarcerated. Uh, he was charged with sexually assaulting my sister. Um, And that created a ripple effect through my life, through my family's life, Uh, a tremendous divide, you know. Um, As a nine-year-old, I didn't know how to process that. Um, I loved my father. I had one father, and I loved him. Um, Yet I was told by others that I no longer can do that. Um, Yeah, man, I mean, (sighs)
0: I can't imagine being and, and there's no you know a nine year old well shoot almost any year old can't handle that like how, where do you even go with that how do you process that um, especially with your father but also how how did then the community the church your friends just people around you obviously it changed and what what did that look like what uh, how did people treat you I mean you didn't do anything wrong but how did people treat you afterwards?
1: When that kind of situation shows up in society, the reaction is, you know, oh, hey, get away. You know, you can't be near them, can't be near that family. Um, we were basically separated from everyone or anything. My parents were kind of well off at that point. Uh, my father was a business owner, my mother had a cleaning business through the Historical Society. I actually grew up inside of James Buchanan's home cleaning it when Hmm. I was a kid. Hmm. Um, You know, we were all going, four of us, I have six siblings, four of us were going to LWA at the time, which is the old uh, Living Word Academy, which is now Christian Day. Um, So we were doing well, you know. We fit the model of society at that point, you know. We were doing the right things, we were looking the right way, we were, you know, doing okay. Um, When that happened, there was an abrupt change, you know. Um, I was basically separated from my friends. Uh, like I said, there was a deep divide amongst my family. My aunts and uncles, everyone kind of went away. The church went away. The core values of the church and the, and the people that I was taught to, to look up to and to hold in high regard were gone. Mm-hmm. And because they weren't willing to accept what was going on. Right. So I was bullied throughout school. I didn't have no friends. I wasn't, I wasn't the guy, I wasn't the kid you invited to the birthday parties. You know what I mean? Um, I think the only birthday party I may have went to was my own 16. Hmm. Um wow. So, like I said, it, there's, it was all of a sudden we were okay. You know what I mean? Everything's okay. These guys, this is a good family. These are good people. To all of a sudden, a choice took that away. Right. Right. Which
0: wasn't your choice. No. Yeah. You know, I mean, this this was something that affected you, but but yet it definitely had an effect on how you. I can't even imagine how, how you see the world, how you interact with the world, how you now, who is Linford, like, growing up as a teenager, is all this stuff, like, you know, so how did this, that change, um, that, that event affect your life, even going out, like, you know, further down the road? How did you respond, even down the road, partly spurred on by, yeah, being bullied, being, hey, no one can be around you, you're not getting invited, all that, you know. Yeah, how did that manifest itself later?
1: Um, I guess the word would be anger, rejection, Mm -hmm. self-worth. You know, I... I I became somebody I wasn't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it led to a lot of dark places in my life. Uh, Through the men's group, we talked about some things. Um... It took me into addiction. It took me into incarceration. It took me into a lot of mental health. Um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, we all have self-esteem, worth, value. You know, a lot of things that you know that are very interpersonal that define who we are. Um, and I wasn't able to identify a lot of mm-hmm. that because of the anger. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which led me into addiction. I am actually four years home uh, from a eight-year incarceration. Uh, stemming from my addiction slash anger, uh, I have a totality of thirteen years of incarceration, um, you know through smaller sentences and you know violations and stuff like that um, so it took me to a place that you would have never thought the picture mm-hmm. of my early childhood mm-hmm. would have been mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: well, yeah I got to hear a little more of this story just eventually you know through the men 's group kind of thing but you know, what I was surprised with was, how in the world did you get here? Like, I, I heard someone talking who was in touch with their anger, in touch of those, those issues. I heard someone who was very compassionate towards others. I, was, I heard someone, I'm like, how in the world does a person go from your low point to where you are today? Like, your perspective of who God is, who the church, I mean, you're here in a church, you know, that turned their back, you know, we didn't, but I mean, a, you know, an organization turned her back on you. You know, how in the world do you get from there, the blow, to, to now sharing a stage <laughs> in front of 8 million people? Well that,
1: That's your fault. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a lot of, you know, obviously inside of cars, you know, you're sitting inside of a prison cell. You have a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. Um, it just came down to a lot of things, like, There was a lot of people that came into my life in incarceration. I actually lost my best friend, one of my very best friends, while I was in there. And I formed a very, very special relationship with his parents. Um, We recently lost Mm. Marilyn. She was like my second mother. Mm -hmm. Um, She taught me about humanity. Mm. She taught me about compassion. She taught me about this unstoppable love that God does have. Mm. And he brings that through His people. You know what I mean? You know... Mm -hmm. Them stepping into my life at that moment just, you know, kind of propelled me, and taught me that listen, there is humanity out mm. there, mm. and you know, the faults of humanity, don't need to be my faults. Mm. Um, just a lot of things, you know. Um, realizing that I no longer have the right to victimize people with my anger, mm. you know what I mean? There was that was a big, big step for me. Yeah. Uh, I lost my father during incarceration. Lost my grandfather during, during incarceration. And, you know, you kind of come to a point in your life where, you know, is this really the value that I have? Mm. Is this really my story? Mm. You know, and it took a lot of forgiveness. I had to let a lot of things go. Uh, I had to realize that there was a lot of faults of my own that created Mm. a lot of things Mm -hmm. and that the things, and like I said, the things that were done to me weren't my fault. Right, right. Um, Grace is a big one. Mm. You know, we it's given to us. We don't deserve it, but it's, it's there. It takes a long time. It took me a long time to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that's probably one of the yeah. biggest, biggest reasons is, is the grace of God and the grace of God's people. Yeah.
0: And it, it takes even longer to then learn to extend that to others. Yes. Uh, yes. But sometimes, yeah, the grace for, for ourselves is very hard because we know we don't deserve it. And yeah, so deep. So if you could go back and talk to that nine-year-old boy... You could go back in time and say, hey, let me tell you a couple things. What, what would you say to that nine-year-old boy? Uh,
1: that you have worth. Mm. Um, that there is a lot of value in humanity. Mm. There is an incredible journey that you're going to go through. It's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, but choose kindness mm. instead of anger. Mm. Um, you're going to meet a girl in a couple of years that you're going to marry. <laughs> um, and uh, mm-hmm. life is is going to be okay as long as you're willing to allow it to be okay. Mm, that's awesome. So, awesome. Awesome. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing. Let's give him a round of applause here for <laughs> having the courage to stand. Give me a hug, brother. Yeah, Good job. Good job. You want your coffee? Uh, yes. yeah, I'll just... Yeah. Powerful testimony, right? God is good. And, and we see in Linford's story um, the effects of people who are right. Um, you know, as a community, I, I grew up in the church that was in his neighborhood. I, I don't remember uh, the events, um, But I I am pretty sure as a church, our stance growing up in a conservative church was you separate from sin. You're holy, you try to separate. You don't go around those people. And I'm sure that was the message that was sent. And I I want to ask forgiveness for that on behalf of the the church that treated that nine-year-old boy wrong, even when we were right. Even where our, our heart, you know, we were trying to do the right thing, but we were wrong. And as we continue in the story of, of Job and looking at the backstory of Job, we, um, we often don't hear about the fourth friend. There was a fourth friend and his name was Elihu. And he was a young man. And he was sitting and observing everything that was going on, the wisdom that the three friends were were offering Job. Job, he was interacting with them and with God. And he was young, but he was silent because he wanted to respect his elders. But it got to the point in his stirring that he's like, I can't take it anymore. i got to speak, guys. I'm sorry. I know you're my elders. I should respect your wisdom. But I think you're wrong here on something. I need, you know, this man didn't do anything wrong. And you can't find anything that he did wrong. But yet, you still condemn him. You still say, there's something wrong with you. That's the problem. And you're condemning someone with no evidence and not knowing the whole story. Maybe there's something... Maybe there's a different perspective to look at here. And, and even in uh, his interaction with Job, we see him in uh, 32.2. He says, but Elihu became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. For saying, hey, I'm, I'm right. I've done everything right. I'm good. I'm righteous. Rather than saying, well, maybe, maybe I need to humble myself before God. Maybe God's got something going on here that I don't know. Maybe his ways are higher than mine. I don't know. But he he was more justifying himself. And this uh, Elihu argues that maybe Job's suffering was meant just to teach him humility a reliance on God. And there's a a quote by Rick Joyner that has stuck with me throughout the years. And part of it is because the way he starts it off. And he said, the answer to all of God's tests. I'm like, ooh, I'm listening. Like, what? I mean, all of God's tests, one answer? This is great. Give it to me, kind of thing. And this is what Elihu was trying to say, is the answer is die to yourself. Humbling ourselves before God, the sovereignty of God that we sung about here this morning. Humbling ourselves before him and saying, you know, I don't know what's going on, God, but you do, and I trust you. And I'm letting my yielding my life to you. I'm dying to myself. After this, um, Elihu um, spoke. Then, then God came and spoke to Job. And I tell you what: when you read that in the last part of Job, uh, it was God was a little bit firm, <laughs> aggressive. Uh, to this righteous man that he was just bragging about kind of thing. He was very firm and kind of like, you know, where were you? Who are you as a human? Like, what are you thinking? Like, where were you when I laid the foundations on the earth? You know, do you, do you tell the sea where to stop and all that? Do you do all that? Like, where? And he just goes on for a couple chapters, just kind of, you are human. I am God. Trust in me. And after Job hears from Elihu, Elihu, and also hears some God, he repents. And he just humbles himself and says, I spoke of things that I did not understand. He was right. He didn't do anything wrong. He was right, but he was wrong because he wasn't humbled before God. And we know the story, we all love this story because God then gives him back double of what he had before and it's a happy ever ever after kind of ending. And I want you to notice one thing here. I want you to notice the timing of when God gave back everything to Job after he'd repented. It's found in Job 42.10. And it says, After Job prayed for his friends the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. After, he forgave his friends, who were right, but they were wrong. And I think we all, in some ways, in some degree, can identify with the story of Linford and the story of Job, where we have been maybe, you know, accused of something that really wasn't right. That people were wrong, they just had a wrong perspective, and we we felt that accusation. And it's easy to build up some, some anger towards that. It's natural too. But I want us to see here that sometimes that healing comes through extending forgiveness. Linford even spoke of it this morning as well. When you forgive those that have done harm to you, healing then has a place to begin. And I think we can all see that. But I think whatever, however, I think sometimes it's actually harder for us to see ourselves. Right. It's harder for us to see those times where we know we're right, um, but maybe we're wrong. And it's hard to see that because, well, we're right after all. So, well, of course it's hard to see that we can identify with Job's three friends that we're right. Like, this is the way God works. You do good, He blesses. you. Like, this is not hard. Like, obviously you did something. We're right, but wrong. Or like Job, who was right, he didn't do anything wrong, and yet all this calamity came upon him, but he didn't do anything wrong. He was right, but he was wrong because he wasn't humbled before God, and and us as a community, the way that we reacted to that nine-year-old boy, we were right, but we were wrong, but sometimes it's hard to see that when we're right because of our perspective. What if that one that we saw was actually not a one, but actually an L? What if that zero that we all agreed on, whether we were leaning this way or this way, we all agreed we saw a zero, what if that zero was actually an O? What if that 6 or that 9 that, you know, we were half of us right, we were sure we were right, They're sure we were right, either way, it's a 6, it's a 9, like, oh, either way, what, what if that was a G? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, how we are supposed to look at others, how we are supposed to judge others how we are supposed to interact with others. Even if we're right, how we're supposed to judge others. Matthew 7, he says, First, get the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We need to come, even when we're right, we need to come with humility taking that log out, because our perspective is our perspective. We need God's perspective on things. And I know this is hard. This is hard because we're right, right? We know we're right. And so, and and those around us will say, you're right. But if we don't have that humility, that perspective of humility, we're wrong. Four years ago, today, my wife of 26 years passed away of cancer. Today is a four-year anniversary. It's been a long journey. It's been definitely the hardest thing I've ever walked through, and don't wish it on anybody. And when I go through the grieving process and still continue in the grieving process, if I focus on my rights... That why was she taken away from me? Why was she taken away from my daughters? This week on, on uh, Thursday, my oldest daughter had her first granddaughter. It's a joyous time, obviously, but why? Why couldn't Tanya be there? When I focus on my right, and I, and I don't know that any of you would throw any stones in my direction and say, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't, you know, no, come on now. No, I have the right to feel that. I do. I do have that right. I have the right for anger. I have the right for bitterness. I have the right. But when I choose to, value, to see from the perspective of humility, it shifts everything. When I choose to humble myself before a sovereign God, it shifts everything. Because then I see as a gift given to me. I see Tanya as a gift that was given that I did not deserve at all. And so I changes from like, why was she taken away to almost like, why did I have the opportunity to spend that time with her? Why did my daughters have such a great mom to be raised by? Like that, the, it's, the grief is still there, the hurt is still there, but the hurt moves towards healing when I come humbly before God. Paul gives us in Colossians. He writes to an early church, and he writes in Colossians three twelve. And he gives three twelve. Sorry, he gives us, I think, a key on how we can continue to maintain the proper perspective as we're living this life together. It's found in Colossians 3.12, it says, uh, sorry, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience clothe ourselves put this on ourselves this is something we can do you know the fruit of the spirit that's something that you know we get in touch with God and that's fruit that comes from that but this is something that we can do we can clothe ourselves as we're looking at our lives as our perspective as we're looking at things whether we we even when we know we're right do we come with compassion with kindness humility gentleness and patience is that our posture is that our perspective. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is what if I engaged my current situation with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? I'm not sure what your journey is today, where you're at today. Whatever that situation may be, it might be school, it might be friends, it might be you know, peers, it might be co-workers, it might be uh, just difficult, maybe your spouse, uh, maybe family situations. I don't know. Every, we all have our journeys, right? Every story matters, right? We all have our things that we're facing in front of us. My question to you is, what if we engaged that situation from a perspective of compassion, From a perspective of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, and of patience, what would look different? What would change if we did that in our lives? Let's go ahead and pray. Go to a time of prayer here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a sovereign God. You're in control even when we don't understand what's happening even though at times it doesn't look the way that we want it to look you're God you're sovereign your ways are higher than our ways your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and Lord show us reveal to us we want to take some time just in silence here Lord reveal to us those things that that maybe we feel that we're right and actually from your perspective we might be a little bit wrong Help us to see those, send your, through your Holy Spirit, please enlighten us, just show us those things, Lord, that, that we might be wrong in the way that we acted, the way that we reacted, the conversation that we've had, reveal yourself to us, Lord. Those times, those situations that we find ourselves in, help us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, with gentleness, patience. Help us, Lord. We need help with that. Lord, just speak to us now in this moment of what might need to change what might look a little differently if we obeyed this if we clothe ourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience lord lord speak to us of what that might look like what maybe needs to change in our lives Lord God, thank you for being such a loving, good, good Father that we can build our lives on. You, that we can exalt you and, and we can follow you because you are a good God and you love us. You work things out for our good even when they don't look that way because you are sovereign and you are controlling. We would want not want to put our faith or trust in anything else but a sovereign and a holy and righteous and perfect God. Thank you for being that God. In Jesus' name I pray.